Amen. Amen. Good to see you guys. Good to see you guys. Okay, you know what? I, I sense we're a little uptight today. So let's take a moment. Tell the person next to you, you look great. Just loosen up a little bit. Can we do that just real quick? Yeah. Yeah. All right. You guys look looser now. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Hey, um, last week, Jeff Davenport <laughs> spoke on submission. Wives submitting to their husbands. I'm so glad I wasn't here. Um, I was actually in Belize. I was, uh, I was, picture Belize, please, fishing. I was doing that while he was speaking. And I was like, I, I, the next day I had to leave. It was Monday. And it was like 80 something degrees, 110% humidity. It's Belize, right? Super hot. And I got my headset on. I'm, I'm working out at the hotel. I'm listening to Jeff speak. And he was like hotter than a jalapeno in a volcano, man. He was like, you could tell it was a really challenging topic. And I thought, wow, so glad I'm not speaking on submission. And then I began to study the passage that I'm speaking on today. And I realized, oh, submission continues through the rest of this, this passage. I'm stuck with the same topic. So gosh, here we go. Um, if you're just joining us, for the first time, or you've been on vacation for the last several weeks, uh, we're in a series on Ephesians, and uh, we, the first four chapters were just amazing. So go back and listen to those messages if you missed them. But it was about the gospel and how the gospel changes who we are. Like it completely changes our identity as human beings. And so we learned in uh, the first few chapters that we're chosen that we're redeemed, that we're holy, we're included in Christ, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're, we're made alive in Christ now and for all of eternity, we've been graced by God, uh, we're prepared for good works, and we've been reconciled, and we are reconcilers. Is that cool or what, right? And then we got to, we got to chapter 4, verse 1, and there was a therefore, and so a shift took place. It was an inflection point in the, in the letter to this church in Ephesus, and, and Paul begins to articulate like, ethics and how things are different for us because of who we are in, in, in Christ. And so we kind of working our way through that the last several weeks. And then in verse 21, there's like another key inflection point. And, and Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, so this submission thing, it's not just about wives and husbands and husbands laying their wives down for their wives. No, it's about everybody submitting to everybody in the church. Husbands submit to their wives, wives submit to their husbands. As we're going to see today, parents and children submit to one another. And so uh, it, it says in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So again, as Jeff said last week, this is a super unpopular topic in our, in our culture. Because we know submission is about power. And we've all seen power misused. You know, globally, politically, interpersonally, we've seen it misused. But in Jesus, we gain a whole different understanding of what, what power is about. It, it says about Jesus in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in appearance as a man. Uh, as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So in Jesus, we get a whole different understanding of submission. He submitted himself to his heavenly father. He submitted himself to humanity. He actually emptied himself out of the glory of being God, became a human being to show us what God is like when God has flesh on. Then he lived a perfectly obedient life to his heavenly father, showed us how to love. Ultimately, he loved us by going to the cross and dying for us there, that we might live. My friends, that is submission. That is submission. Here's my definition of submission. It's about using our power to love others. 
Submission is about using our power to love others. Someone needs to tweet that or X that or whatever we do these days. What do we do? Do we tweet or X? What are we doing now? We're what? Writing letters? I love you. I love you. Let's go analog, all right? So we're going to be in uh, Ephesians 6, 1 through 9 uh, this this morning, and we're going to talk about children submitting to their parents and parents submitting to their children and employees submitting to their employers and employers submitting to their employees. So if you're a parent or a kid or you have a job, this message should be relevant at some point to you, okay? Well, it doesn't apply to your relationships. You can apply to your dogs. All right, first of all, uh, children submitting to parents. Parents, you're going to love this. Like, you're going to love this part. You're going to want to, like, get a YouTube video and just keep it on, like, you know, replay for the rest of your kids' lives. You're going to love this part. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on earth. So parents, can we just stop and thank God for this passage? Can we just give, let's just give God a round of applause for giving us this great, this commandment. There's only a handful of parents I can tell in here right now. Otherwise, you'd all be applauding. Um, I love this passage. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And, and the reason for that is every few years, some kid shows up at my house with my last name. Don't know how it happens, but it's had five times I've had these little beings in my home with my last name. And I... I teach them this verse as early as possible, okay? Um, this, this verse is a cut and paste from the Ten Commandments. And, and the promise is that if, if kids will honor their parents, their life will be longer and better. Now, we can only speculate as to why that is true. Uh, it's the fifth commandment in the Ten Commandments, and the sixth commandment is, thou shalt not murder. There could be a connection, there could be a connection between children honoring their parents and their parents not murdering their kids. That's, just, that's one possibility. Um, another possibility is if, if kids will honor their parents, they'll be wiser, which will likely lead to a better and longer life. Amen? Some parents in here? Okay, again, five parents in the room today. All right. Um, I, uh, when I was a kid, I, I lived in Seattle, Washington, and once I put, a, I put another kid in a washing machine and I turned it on for like three minutes. I don't know why I did it. I just did it because kids do that kind of thing. Like when you're a kid, you just do stupid stuff. You don't know why. And then we moved away, which I'm grateful because that kid's probably walking around Seattle like with brain damage, homeless or something, you know? So I, I, didn't, I didn't get caught. But as a parent, I often feel like I'm in a washing machine. I'm like all over the place, all over the place, you know, trying to figure it out. So I, I, I share some thoughts with you today about parenting uh, but I want you to know I'm a very, very imperfect parent, okay? Uh, but I, I have learned over time that parents tend to be wiser than their kids. True or false? false. True, except for the kid on the front row. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I thought my parents were really dumb until I turned 30. Something switched at 30, okay? But up until that point in time, I thought, my parents are so dumb, okay? And at 30, I realized maybe they're not so dumb. And maybe they actually had some wisdom that I should have leaned into. So, for example, my father was a great leader, incredible leader. So in my, between 30 and like 47 when he passed away, I would ask him for leadership advice. I wished I would have learned from him about money earlier. He grew up very poor, depression-era kid, no, no running water, no electricity. So when he started making money, he was very, uh, very careful about stewarding it. 
and he, he had investments. He always beat the market. He always beat index funds. I should have listened to him in my 20s and started saving earlier. If you're young, save early. The compounding effect, it's a real thing. Um, I should have listened to my mom more. I, I, again, thought my mom was really dumb until I was like 30. And then I realized, you know, my mom is actually really smart. Like she's pretty discerning, especially about relationships. And so if you're new, I, got, I was married 26 years. My wife left me multiple times for other men. Looking back, I probably should have said, hey, mom, uh, be honest with me. You're hanging out with my girlfriend. What do you think? And if I would have listened to her, I'm pretty sure she would have said, hey, I got a couple concerns. You better wait, go a little slower. Wish I would have listened to my mom, okay? Moral of the story is, generally, our parents are smarter than we are and wiser, and we would do well to listen to them. So uh, in, the, in the Bible, there's this section of literature called the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Job, Psalms, etc. And one of the themes, one of the recurring themes in the wisdom literature is, children, listen to your parents. Listen to your parents and you'll be wiser in the future. You will be. Okay. Uh, I got a picture here, I think, of Emory and Chester. And uh, one of the reasons that it's important for kids to submit to their parents is so they'll learn to submit to God. Guess which one of these two kids submits better to their parents? Any idea? Okay, if you are upstairs, you know it's this one. He submits pretty, pretty easily. He is a natural-born leader, but he's just kind of an easy kid. This one right here, she wants to take over every single day. Like on a very frequent basis, I have to sit her down in a chair and I have to say, Emery, you're not in charge. You do not run the house. I do. And your mom does. Okay. And I'll say to her, I'll say, hey, Jesus is in charge of us and we're in charge of you. Capiche? Okay. It's the only word I know. Is, what is capiche? French, I don't know what it is. Anyway, capiche, whatever that means. Yeah. Okay. And she'll walk around the house for a day or so going, Jesus is in charge of mommy and daddy, and mommy and daddy are in charge of me, but one day, I'm going to be in charge of my kids. Yeah. Pray for her kids. Pray for her kids. So what's happening already, and I'm really grateful for this, is my kids are learning to submit to their parents. They're learning to honor and obey their parents. And one of the reasons that's so important, and one of the reasons that will lead to a longer, better life, is if they can learn to submit to us and obey us, they just might learn to submit and obey their Heavenly Father. Amen? That's one of the reasons I believe it's so important for kids to honor, honor their parents and obey them. Um, when I think about my life, every time I've obeyed Jesus as Lord, my life has been better. Not easier. Sometimes it's harder. Sometimes it's led to persecution. But overall, much better. Whenever I've disobeyed Jesus, I don't care if it's a little thing, his spirit's saying something to me, or I see something in the Bible, I go, not ready for that. It's always turned out poorly for me. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. When we obey King Jesus, when we practice immediate obedience to King Jesus, our life is always better. And we want to get that in the DNA of our kids as early as possible. Amen, parents? Okay, great. Uh, Now, some of you are asking this question that I know is in your mind. What if your parents are idiots? (laughs) Like, what if they're just a hot mess? What do you do? What do you do? Uh, in, in the wisdom literature of scripture, there's four kinds of people, okay? There's wise people, there's simpletons, there's foolish people, and there's evil people. Some of you have wise parents or you had wise parents. Praise God, thank God every day for your parents, okay? Because they, they showed you how to live life with skill. 
And most of us have simpletons as parents. They're not fools, but not super wise. They're kind of the middle, like average people. Uh, with those kind of parents, we learn what we can from them, both their, what they did right and we learn from their mistakes. Foolish parents, you're going to have a harder life. Your life will be harder, okay? Some of you have had or have evil parents. I've got a friend coming today. Uh, she had a book that came out this week called Trauma Evolution. Her pseudonym is uh, Ridley Grace, not her real name. But I've been reading the book. Um, she's a woman who has been very generous to our church, and uh, she grew up being uh, repeatedly abused by her father. Her Baptist father raped her at the age of five. And this book is about her recovery, and it's hard to read. It's really hard to read. What do you do when you have parents who are evil? You get out as fast as you can. You grab me on the porch. You talk to an authority, a teacher, a psychologist, a sociologist. You call social services. You get out. Foolish parents, you navigate things. Evil parents, you set a boundary. You get out. As a church, if that's your situation, we're here for you. Okay. All right. Uh, parents submitting to their children. So kids submit to parents. Parents submit to children. Kids, it's time for you to kick back, relax for a few minutes. Watch your parents elbow each other. Ephesians 6.4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with a discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So Paul's addressing fathers here because biblically, as we saw last week, they are more responsible more responsible for their homes than the wives are, but the wives are also responsible. Listen to the message if that tweaks you. Um, but also he's, he's speaking to a patriarchal society. Uh, the phrase paterfamilias was the idea that the fathers were ultimately in charge of the home economically, spiritually, educationally. So fathers had a lot of weight in the first century. Uh, and here's my summary of what he's saying to both fathers and mothers. Parents, don't frustrate and provoke your kids. Don't take your kids off. Instead, submit to your kids by using your power to train them. The word discipline, it means to train, to train them to live like Jesus. Your job is to train them and instruct them about how to live their lives the way Jesus wants them to live. Remember, this is a message about submission. Submission is using your power to bless and love other people. Parents, you have all the power in your relationship with your kids. So you're to use it, you're to steward it to bless them, and to teach them the ways of Jesus. So um, I've been a parent for 30 years, and uh, I've been in ministry for 40 years. I've watched a lot of kids, watched a lot of parents, and I'm extremely imperfect, okay? So I, what I'm about to share with you, I share with complete humility. Uh, I got this slide, Tom Hanks slide. In the morning, I'm like Mr. Rogers, man. I get up, I have my coffee, I've had a good night's sleep, I've had my quiet time, I am a godly father. But around 8 o'clock, actually it starts for me around 4 p.m., I'm like this guy, okay? Cast away, I become an axe murderer, okay? So I'm dangerous at night, and I'll talk more about that later, but I'm a very imperfect parent, and yet I've learned a few things over the years. And I want to share with you just a few of those things. Um, this week, as I was you know, applying the message to my life, I wrote down 20 things I've learned about parenting in 30 years, 40 years. And uh, I want to share just five of those with you. The first one is by far the most important thing I've learned about parenting. So if you're a parent, you might even want to take notes today. Well, imagine that. Um, number one, number one is have the right goal. Have the right goal. Super, super important. What are you parenting for? 
Why did you even have kids? What is your goal for your kids? What are you parenting them towards? And I, I know a lot of you don't have kids, so make notes for later, okay? Or use this on your dog. It won't work on your cat. <laughs> Nothing works on cats, okay? Here's some examples of really stupid goals, okay? Parent, a lot of parents have some really dumb goals for their kids. Making sure your kid is like a, a major league athlete or an Olympian. Dumb goal, okay? Unless you won the genetic lottery, and therefore your kids win the genetic lottery, you don't have a snowball's chance, okay? I was an athlete, high school, college, and I discovered very quickly there is a lot, a big gene pool out there, and I was not blessed the way other people were, okay? Your kids will most likely discover this. Now, if you are lucky, you got the lottery ticket, great. And there's nothing wrong with sports. All my kids played sports. My little kids play sports. Sports are great. You just can't make it your primary goal to turn your kid into some kind of athletic superstar. It should never be your number one goal. But in our culture, it is for many, many parents. Am I speaking the truth? Okay. Uh, how about this one? Uh, going to a top 10 school. Okay, if you went to Harvard, we got parents who went to Harvard, Dartmouth and stuff, way to go. I'm happy for you. But if that's the primary goal for your kid to go to Stanford or some great school, elite school, that's not the best goal. It's not a bad goal. It's, it just shouldn't be your number one goal. Now, here's a really bad goal. Your kids being happy. If you want to turn your kids into little entitled narcissists, make that your goal. And by the way, that's the goal of a whole lot of parents in our culture. I just want my kid to be happy. Guess what? Happiness is never, is never a good goal. It's always a byproduct of other goals. If you want your kid to be happy, help your kid know Jesus. If you want your kid to be happy, work on their spiritual formation, their character formation. If you want your kid to be happy, help them find their life's mission and purpose. Amen, somebody? Okay. Then they'll be happy as a byproduct. So it's just so important that parents become intentional about their goal. So Paul says to the parents in the church in Ephesus, which was, by the way, this huge disciple-making movement they met in homes, not in buildings like this, in homes throughout Asia. He says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Again, the word there is training. You're, you're to train them and instruct them in the Lord. What's that mean? He's talking about Jesus. Fortunately for all of us, Jesus took all of his teachings, the Sermon on the Mount and all these other teachings and all the things that he wanted people to see in his example, and he boiled it all down into the great commandment and the great commission. Great commandment, Luke 10, 27. Love God, like your heart, soul, strength, and mind, your neighbor as yourself. Okay. Great commission, make disciples of all nations. So what is Jesus' goal for your kids? The goal would be that they become relational champions. Okay. Not only athletic champions or academic champions, but relational champions. What Jesus wants for your kids and for you is that you become amazing at relationships, that you would know how to love God, that you would love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and that your kids would as well, and that you'd be great at loving people and your kids would be great at loving people. And the home is a great place for kids to be trained in learning how to love, Right? And that your kids would grow up to, to be disciples of Jesus, not cultural Christians, but, but disciples of Jesus, people who follow Jesus and obey Jesus, just like you've been trained them to obey you. That when Jesus speaks, they respond, they obey. And not just disciples themselves, but disciples who make disciples. Okay. Why? Because disciples of Jesus become relational champions. They love people well. They love God well. The whole world wins when your kids become relational 
champions and disciples who make more disciples who love well. So some of us as parents, we probably need to repent. We probably realize right now, I've had the wrong goal. Because our culture pulls us towards all kinds of goals that are not Jesus' goal for our kids. And I'm as bad as anybody. So um, back to that old athletic thing. So Chester's been in a bunch of sports, and uh, he's about to play football. We'll see how that goes, because he's small like me. But he ran track this summer. And... um, Again, five kids. I've secretly hoped that one of my kids would be a track star, okay? Because track is my thing. My wife is a really good runner. She's got all these Division One athletes in her family that ran track. I'd love to see like one of my kids be a track star. Put Chester in track meets. He gets smoked, okay? I'm calling Chris. I go, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure he got the right genes. But hey, to be fair, his longest race was 100 meters. I go, maybe, maybe if we start training him right now, Maybe, like maybe if we start making him, you know, work on his VO2 max, lay a good foundation right now. He's got good turnover, but not a lot of power. We're going to make that kid run hills. I got some weights. He can start doing squats. Like he's five. Come on. 2036 Olympics. It's just around the corner. Let's go. I go, if we start working right now, maybe by 2036, he'll make the Olympics. Okay. I started getting wrapped up in this stuff because I hate seeing my kid lose. He was losing bad. And then the Holy Spirit said, "Uh, remember me? Hey, that's not the goal. It's okay if you train a little bit, you know. If he excels, great. But my main goal for my son cannot be to turn him into some kind of athlete. It has to be to help him become a relational champion who loves well and who loves God and makes disciples. So parents, some of you need to repent today. You've had the wrong goal. All right, if you don't listen to anything else, just pray on that one. Uh, A few more things. Uh, something else I've learned that's really important is to know what stage your kids are in, to parent developmentally. It took me a couple of kids to begin to figure this one out. But kids go through stages, okay? And there's all kinds of schemas. You know, Piaget, if you ever took psychology, has one. There's different schemas for like thinking about developmental transitions that kids go through. Um, I like this one, and it's in uh, Andy and Sandra Stanley's book, which I'll, I'll show you the what that book looks like in a few minutes. These are stages they talk about. I think these stages make a ton of sense. So you've got ages zero to five. This is like the discipline stage, all right? Uh, but you got to remember that discipline is about relationship. As parents, I know what I want to do is I just want to get my pound of flesh. Like, you know, like, you're making me mad. I want you to hurt and be in pain, okay? That's not good parenting, okay? Done that. Don't do that. You want, to, you want to make sure that when you discipline your kids, it's about relationship. So in our family, we discipline for three things. We don't discipline for stupid stuff because they're kids. And I put a kid in a washing machine once, okay? So I, we, don't, we don't discipline for them just doing random stupid kid stuff. But we do discipline for disobedience, for disrespect, and dishonesty. Why? Those are all relational sins. They disobey us, kind of breaks relationship a little bit. Disrespect, whoo, that gets me fired up dishonest. I can't have a relationship with someone I can't trust. Right? So we discipline for those three things. We also demand immediate obedience. Sounds kind of fundamentalistic. It's not. You know, if my kid walks across the street and doesn't obey me right away, there may not be a second chance. So we don't go, okay, you obey. I'm going to count to three. That kid could be dead by three. Okay. We demand our, our family immediate obedience, where you say, hey, obey right away, obey right away. I learned that from the Soderstroms, by the way. Okay. All right. And then we're trying to teach our kids that broken relationships need to be restored. 
Again, because we're, we're trying to create relational champions who love God, love people, make disciples. And so the other night, uh, my son Chester, at the dinner table, he had one of those little yogurt things, you know, that you drink, and he put a straw in it, which is usually dangerous, and then he blew into the yogurt. The yogurt was all over his face, all over his clothes, all over the table, all over the carpet. And my first reaction wasn't good. I think I kind of popped the mind in the air. I go, what were you thinking? Go to your room. And then I kind of got my game on. I go, okay, wait, wait, wait. It's not about punishing. It's about relationship. And so we had him come out, and we talked about what happened. And I asked him, why did you do that? And his answer was, of course, what? I don't know. I go, I get it. I was your age. I didn't know either. I still don't know why I do what I do half the time. Okay, I get it. Lots of grace for you. I don't know why I do some of the stupid stuff I do either. But what happened because you did what you did? And he had to really think about that. Well, dinner got disrupted, and we, we were having a good moment. The moment was you know, broken. Well, what do you need to do? I need to confess to my parents. So he confessed to us, all of us, one at a time. Yes, let's forgive him for you know, messing up the family dinner. Then he prayed to Jesus. And then I go, now what do you need to do? Clean up the mess. Yeah, you and your mom get one there, and they started cleaning the mess up. What am I teaching him to do? I'm teaching him to restore broken relationships. So I'm teaching him confession and restitution. Okay? It's not enough to say, I'm sorry, I got to fix the mess. I need to clean up the yogurt. Okay, so imagine if my kids learn this at an early age and your kids learn this at an early age. How's that going to help them down the road when they're married, right? I mean, imagine the gift we're giving our kids if they can learn to restore broken relationships when they're young. How that's going to help them at work, in their marriages, with their kids, with God. So we teach our kids, every time you sin against people, you sin against God, because God's primary command is about us loving each other. We don't do this perfectly, but we're working on this a lot as, as a family. All right, so zero to five, those are the discipline years you're trying to train them. Uh, speaking of training, though, ages five to 12 is about like training habits. This is about habit formation. So it's just basic relational skills, like we're trying to teach our kids to look people in the eye. Uh, to pick up after yourself because I want their spouses to thank me for that in the future um, and their roommates. Uh, we, we try to teach them about being lifelong learners. We want them to love reading and learning and have a growth mindset. Uh, that's a very important habit. And we try to teach them spiritual formation habits. Like at, at night, we read the Bible with them. We pray with them. We're memorizing scripture together. And uh, we're just trying to teach them like basic spiritual disciplines. We bring them to church, obviously. Our simple church, they go to that. We want them now to form those habits that will shape them spiritually for a lifetime. Okay. Um, our habits determine our destiny. Have you figured that out by now? Your daily habits determine who you become and how, you, how your life turns out. And so as parents, we're going to privately train our kids so that they will succeed publicly. Because private discipline always precedes public, public success. Someone could tweet or X that one. Too, by the way. Okay, uh, moving right along. Consulting years. This is age 12 to 18. Um, this stage is less about training and more about staying connected and asking good questions. You're not telling you what to do. You know, you're, hopefully, you've done, if you've done your work, this can be a pretty easy stage. If you haven't done your work, this can be a painful stage. But you're more of a consultant than a coach. Okay? A lot of your parenting is done. Now you're just asking questions and kind of guiding them like a good life coach or consultant does. Very important during the, t- the teen years. Uh, my son, Cole, who's my oldest, he's 30. And uh, he, uh, he got drunk twice in high school. And um, fortunately, he told me, because I didn't know. You know, some parents stay up worrying about their kids. Never been a problem for me. <laughs> like, 
They can be out till two. I don't even know. Like, I'm sleeping, okay? So uh, he'd come in late. I didn't even know. And so he, but we stayed connected. Like, every night we'd play ping pong during study breaks, and we'd talk, and he'd kind of open up, and we'd go on trips together, and he'd open up. And so we had a, I, I, in this stage, I want to be very careful to make sure I stayed connected to my teenagers. And so one day he told me, he goes, hey, Dad, I got drunk twice this last year. Now, this is really important if you're a parent in this stage. You have to learn to develop a poker face, okay? If you freak out, if you freak out, connection broken, and they're not going to talk to you again, okay? Remember when you were a kid and your parents freaked out? So you, you put on a poker face. You put on sunglasses if you have to when they're telling you things, but you don't freak out. So I'm listening to him. I'm thinking, I'm going to take your car away, your phone away, and you're not going to college, okay? Didn't say that, fortunately. I just listened. I said, well, what was that like? Why did that happen? You thinking about doing it again? And we just kind of went through the whole conversation. And by God's grace and because of a whole lot of prayer, he didn't get drunk again in high school. And to my knowledge, he didn't get drunk in college. Okay? So uh, very important that as parents, we don't freak out. We stay connected and we kind of guide them. We don't hammer them when they make a mistake, but we guide them. Okay, You follow me? All right. Um, here's another one for parents. Never argue with your kids. Yeah. Oh, yes. Never argue with your kids. All right? All right. Uh, this is especially true of moms and daughters. I know I'm being stereotypical, but you know what I'm talking about. Okay? Um, here's the deal. Remember, submission is about using your power to love and bless other people. As a parent, who has the most power? Not the kid. You do. You do. You do. When you argue with your kids, you give away all your power and you become their equal. No one wins when you do that. So you don't argue. You just keep your poker face on and you say no, or you set your boundary, you create your rule, your curfew, whatever it is, and you let them kick and scream and punch holes in the wall, what are they going to do? But you don't argue. That will save you so much grief. All right, friendship years, 18 plus. Uh, This is where it gets fun. I got three older kids, 30, 25, 21. Uh, Cole, my son, called me yesterday. He's got a growing business. He asked for advice. I didn't have any. <laughs> I said, I'll pray for you. Um, my second grandkid, by he, through he and his wife, is due in the next seven days. Pray for my, my daughter-in-law. Uh, super fun. We just talk like friends. We pray for each other. It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Macy, my youngest, she calls me like twice a week, and we're developing a friendship. Uh, Sabrina's my middle child. We had a, a tough go during our divorce. And so we're just very, very slowly reconnecting, but it's beginning. She texted me yesterday. Uh, it's fun. It's fun to be friends with your kids. It really is. Uh, question parents often ask in this stage, what if your kids walk away from, from God? Uh, quick advice if that's you. Um, Jesus never let his beliefs get in the way of connecting to people. Otherwise, he never would have talked to anybody. <laughs> like Jesus was always talking to people who had different beliefs than him but he didn't let his beliefs get in the way of connecting. And so he tried to persuade, but he, he stayed connected. So you can stay connected to your kids even if they walk away from God without condoning beliefs and behaviors you don't agree with. It takes the wisdom of Solomon to know how to do that, but it's possible. Okay. All right, uh, three more things. Don't parent alone. Uh, if you parent alone, you'll be roadkill. It's a bad idea. So hopefully you, you're, you can parent with your spouse uh, I, I've, I could have written a book called Good Marriage, Bad Marriage, but I didn't because it's a bad title. Um, and I have kids. 
but I have had a good marriage and a bad marriage. And in the good marriage, man, we're synced up. In the bad marriage, we weren't, and it was really hard to parent together. I recognize the fact that 40% of you who are parents are single. That's a national average, okay? And uh, wow, we pray for you. I was a single dad with three teenage girl, or two teenage girls for three years. Hardest thing I ever did. Uh, please know as a church, we're here for you. Speaking of church, it takes a village, and a church is a great village. So uh, when we talk about church right here, we mean the weekends, but even more so, we meet our simple churches. So hopefully you eventually get in a simple church where you have the support of other parents um, helping you, and they're, they're helping you parent your kids alongside of you. Youth group, super important. Uh, we have a phenomenal youth group. It's so important that kids have peers that have the same values they do, which is hard to find in a public school. Um, this is Cam. He's our youth guy. Can we give it up for Cam? He's awesome. Cam just came on full time. We're super excited about that. I didn't go to youth group. I wasn't a Christian when I was a youth, but uh, or, you know, didn't happen until late in my youth. I wish I'd had Cam as a youth leader. I think my life would have been better. So we're going to read you downstairs this year. It's going to be awesome. It's already Dave and Buster's. It's going to just get better. So keep your kids here at youth group. Make it a priority. Uh, you need mentors for yourself as a parent. I had a guy named John Wooster. He has four sons, two sets of twins. They love Jesus. They have great families. Thank God for him. Uh, but you also need mentors for them. That's why youth group is so important. All the research indicates if your kids walk with Jesus in college in the 20s, it's because of three things primarily. You, not because you were perfect, but because you had you know, an authentic walk with Jesus. Number two, mentors that weren't you, other people pointing at your kids. Number three, they saw God do cool things. If you're involved in ministry, you will see God do cool things. You'll see healings. You'll see people who become followers of Jesus and their lives are completely changed. You'll see supernatural stuff. So make sure you're doing ministry. Bring your kids with you. And um, man, make sure they have mentors, okay? All right, last but not least. Oh, no, I got two more. Um, have fun and create moments. Uh, parents should be fun, right? <laughs> Somebody? Yeah. Chris, okay, now we need to talk about this. Christian parents are often not very fun. True or false? Okay. Well, false in some cases, but true in a lot of cases. So a lot of parents are like, hey, follow Jesus and eat your broccoli. Don't be that parent, okay? Make sure it's fun, uh, because if it's fun, they're going to come back. They'll come back when they get older in the friendship years. So my girls used to do Manny petties on me and put tiaras on me. Didn't really like that, but I did it. I said, hey, only one rule, no pictures, no pictures. But they loved it. They loved it. Uh, my son and I used to go fishing, Cabo, Alaska. We went on epic backpacking trips. Um, I got two little kids right now. This summer, it's been ice cream every single night because what kid doesn't love a dad who buys them ice cream all the time? So keep it fun, keep it fun, make your home fun, create moments. They'll come back when they're older. Last but not least, pray a lot. Just pray your butt off. <laughs> it's the best advice I can give you. Prayer is like, it's, it's our superpower because it taps into the supernatural power of God. Okay, all right, uh, some resources here. And I know I spent a lot of time on this, but I, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, spend a lot of time with the parents today. Uh, some great books, Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp, um, How the Gospel Should Shape Our Families. Uh, Parenting Beyond Our Capacity or, is about like having mentors for our kids and working with the church. This is a great book, just came out, Parenting by the, the Stanleys, really good. And then Paul David Tripp, uh, Parenting Gospel Principles, phenomenal. Uh, and then we're going to offer parenting classes in the fall, so we'll keep this topic, we'll keep this topic going, okay? All right, uh, two, more, two more topics, and then we're going to pray. Uh, employees submitting to their employers, Ephesians 6, 5 through 8, totally different topics. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. 
Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Okay, so before I talk about employees and employers, I'm going to do a really quick sidebar on slavery. I had to cut a ton of stuff out on this. I wish I could spend more time on it because some of you are in college and your professors are beating you up over this issue. But let me just hit it really quick. I want to just make a basic blanket statement. Slavery was very different in the first century than it was in our country's history. It was still bad. It was condemnable. But it wasn't like what we think about when we often think about slavery. Okay, Um, It was more like employment. Often, uh, for example, uh, a man would start a business, it would fail, get in debt, he would sell himself into slavery to pay off the debt. When the debt was paid off, he would, he would become an employee or go start another business. If a woman lost her husband, didn't have a lot of options, she would sell herself into slavery to be able to live. Uh, usually it was short term. You know, usually by the age of 30, most people were out of slavery. In our country, it was for life and legacy. You were a slave for life and your kids were as well. Um, It was generally not racial. Sometimes it was, but for the most part, slavery was not a race thing as it was in our country. Often, uh, masters and slaves would be of the same race, but it was still condemnable, and the Bible condemns it. Paul talks about slave traders being condemnable, Um, not because it involved submission. We're learning here that submission can be a really good thing. Jesus submitted to his heavenly father, submitted to us, but because it was about commodification, It commodified image bearers of God. And that's what made it so condemnable and what makes it condemnable to this very day. Two more things. Um, Jesus' teachings on the equality of humanity led to the eventual abolishment of slavery. It framed the worldview of people with names like Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, William Wilberforce, and Abraham Lincoln. Jesus and his teachings and the teachings of Paul laid the foundation for the eventual abolishment of slavery. Having said that, the job is not finished Human trafficking is alive and well. We, we've recently helped some, some women who were prostitutes in India get free. We will continue to do that as we have opportunity. We have a long way to go. So let's stay aware as God calls us to help people who are caught up in human trafficking. Let's, let's do our work. All right, what's all this say about employees working for an employer? Um, number one, if you're an employee, most of you are, you are not working just for your boss, but for the Lord. It says you are to serve the Lord at work. So programmers should program as if Jesus is their boss. CEOs should lead as if they're working for Jesus, not their board or shareholders, ultimately. Electricians should wire up buildings for the Lord, not just their clients. Pastors should equip their people to be disciples who make disciples for the Lord, not to make everyone in their churches happy, which is impossible. Number two, your job is not your vocation. Your job is not your vocation. If you're under the age of 45, You've been taught that your job should be this place where you have all kinds of self-actualization experiences and find ultimate meaning. Not true. Um, Jesus, most of his life, he was a carpenter. And later he became an itinerant preacher, but his vocation was the same his whole life. His vocation was to love God, love people, make disciples. And so our, our job is a place where we can live out our vocation. It is not our vocation. Amen, somebody? Okay, just making sure you're still there. Um, I used to be a janitor, I uh, owned a janitorial company and uh, bought some other companies. That company still exists. It's headquarters in Las Vegas. Not sure how that happened, but I loved it. Not because I love cleaning toilets or cleaning like kitty snot off walls. It actually happened one time. Um, but it paid the bills and it was a chance for me to live out my vocation. 
I was able to disciple my employees, share the gospel with clients, and I had a ministry outside of my work, and that's why I enjoy my job. So your job is your mission field. It's not your vocation. It's not where you find your life purpose. It's not where you find ultimate fulfillment. It's your mission field. If you treat it as your mission field, you'll love it a lot more. And if you remember that Jesus is your boss, you'll also enjoy your job more. Okay, last category in this passage, we'll wrap this up. Uh, employers submitting to their employees. Ephesians 6, 9. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. And do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism. It's pretty common for a slave and a master to be in the same house church and for the, the slave to be the elder of the church. So in one place, the, the master you know, would have the slave submitting to them. In another place, the master would submit to the slave. So that's what he's referring to. Um, when it comes to employment, he's saying the employer is to take care of the employee as if their employee was Jesus himself. Just as the employee is to work for their employer as if their employer is Jesus himself. Wouldn't the marketplace be a better, better experience for everyone if we did that? So how can those of us who have employees live out this command of Jesus? Uh, one is we can make sure we're paying people well. Surely that will get an amen from somebody today, okay? Especially with inflation going on. So there's a, there's a gentleman in our church. He's my, one of my neighbors. Uh, led him to Christ a few years ago. Had the honor of baptizing him, discipling him. He has two simple churches, and he has a, a bottling company. He bottles sauces and stuff. And uh, it's up north of here. And I visited him at work a while back just to see like what he does. And it was the coolest thing. As he was explaining how the whole bottling process worked, he kept pointing out people. And he would say things like, hey, you see, you see that, that young guy right there? He couldn't buy a car, but now he has a car. You can tell he's just super happy. And then he introduced me to another guy. He goes, he's getting married. He's getting married. He's going to be able to afford to be married. You see that woman over there? She used to be in prison. Now she has a job. And then he showed me some of the other executives. He goes, when we sell this company, they're going to be rich. He is like Jesus on the job. This man did not need to start this company. He started this company because he wanted to bless people. That should be the attitude of all of us who have employees, that we treat them as if they are Jesus himself. Another way we can do that, make sure they have benefits. Always grieves me to hear when employees don't have benefits. It's healthcare is so expensive in our country. Um, we can make sure they're clear on what's expected of them. Every, every healthy human being wants to know what's the win, what do you expect of me? So let's make sure they know what's expected, what the win is, and let's make sure they have the coaching, appreciation, evaluation, and resources to win, right? And then uh, last but not least, we can create a culture that is life-giving in the marketplace. Uh, restoration has a great life-giving culture. Talk to any of our employees here. Chances are they're going to say, I love working here. We've worked really hard at codifying the kind of culture we want. We hire for that culture and we fire for that culture. It's a life-giving culture. We laugh a lot. We submit to each other. We practice mutual submission. And the reason the culture here on our staff is so good, and the reason that you know a lot of churches, they're shiny on the outside, but they get worse as you get closer to the middle, just the opposite here. The reason it's better in the middle is because of Jason Soderstrom, our lead pastor, who's one of the best leaders I've ever met in my life. And so can we just put our hands together right now for Jason and his leadership in our church? I wish I was half the leader he, I, that he is at his age. But Jason, thank you so much. Um, let me do a brief recap. 
Submission is using our power for others. It's about putting others' needs ahead of our own. It's about kids submitting to their parents. It's about parents submitting to their kids. It's about employers submitting to their employees and employees submitting to their employers. And when that happens, the world becomes a more beautiful place. And we become more like Jesus, who submitted himself to his heavenly Father and to us that we might live with him for all of eternity. So right now, we have the opportunity to choose to submit to Jesus by listening to his spirit speak to us about what he wants us to do with this message. So the Holy Spirit said a lot to me this week. I've got a bunch of what we call I will statements here at Restoration in our simple churches and our our spiritual practices. We try to go, what can I do with, with this text? How will I apply this in my daily life? Is there a a promise to claim, something to thank God for, some knowledge to retain, an example to follow, a command to obey. Chances are, if you'll just slow down for a few minutes, God's been speaking to you. What will you do because of this message? Um, one of my I wills is this. I will rarely schedule a meeting after 2 p.m. so I have time to do my busy work and take a short nap. I'm 60, people. Take a short nap before I go into dad mode. I'm going to be more like Mr. Rogers less like the castaway Tom Hanks, okay? And that means I gotta slow down the afternoon. That was the primary thing the Holy Spirit said to me. What's he saying to you? Here's a few possibilities. Uh, Maybe you'll take a minute and start a conversation with your spouse and get really clear about your parenting goal. What are you parenting your kids towards? Maybe you take a minute and you plan how you can be a better employee this week. How can you bless the people you work with? How can you be a, a blessing to your employer? Maybe you take a minute and encourage one of your employees if you have employees. Think about how you can build up and make your, your employees have a better experience uh, working for you. Or maybe right now you just take a minute and you, if you're honest, you've never submitted your life to Jesus Christ. If you're honest, you're in charge, not him. And maybe this is your minute to receive his salvation, to acknowledge him as the savior of your sins, the one who alone can give you eternal life and you bow to him and receive his salvation and you choose to follow him from this point on as the Lord of your life. I'm not sure what the Spirit's saying to you, but if you'll listen, he will talk to you. Let's take a moment, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Let the Spirit speak.